MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, October 28th, 2021. I have an awesome show for you today. I had a really amazing conversation with my friend, host of the Prevail podcast, which you must download and subscribe to and rate once you get a chance. In fact, during the holidays, when you're at your parents' house, any of your like MAGA relatives, just pick up their phone and subscribe to the Prevail podcast on their behalf. I'm sure they'll love it. It's Greg Oliar. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans. Today, I am joined by the author of Dirty Rubles and the host of the Prevail podcast to discuss some stuff. Please welcome Greg Oliar. Hey, how's it going? Good, Greg. How are you? How have you been? Um, I'm okay. Um, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit upset right now. Hmm? A little bit upset. Um, I don't know if you knew Travis Tritt has blocked me on Twitter. I'm really, I'm really torn up about it. Um, I didn't know that he was still alive and, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know how to respond. You know, it just makes me feel so sad. Yeah. I kind of want to see like, uh, like a Sarah McLaughlin type video of all of us who've been blocked by Travis Twit, uh, on Trit on Twitter, Twit, Twat, Travis Twat it, on yeah, Twitter. It's, it's yeah. I just think that would be so funny. You know, I'll never forget the day he blocked me. Uh, And I wish you could actually see when somebody blocked you, because I went to look, as most of Twitter did this last week, and uh, found out I'd I'd been blocked. And I didn't even realize it. Um, But I think I think some sort of (laughs) sad in the arms of the angels like (laughs) type video, like at the Oscars when they talk about the people that have died. You know, and memoriam yeah. or yeah you know for just 19 dollars a month you can sponsor someone who's been blocked by travis Tritz. <laughs> that's good i have to steal that for my next uh yeah yeah for my next fake ad yeah we'll have to make that maybe maybe just you and i and lb or something could record just little snippets and maybe have somebody cut it together i think it would be a fun video I'm also angry for that, but I'm angry for a lot of other things, too. I wanted to talk to you about today, first of all, and we're recording this just so everybody knows on October 20th. And the Senate just voted 51 to 49 against voting rights, against Manchin's voting rights bill, which had a lot of really great stuff in it. But Manchin apparently couldn't get it done. Big shocker. He's kind of got a history of this, right? Like, only I can do it. I can I can get Republicans on board. And I'm assuming that that was a known quantity and that this was sort of uh, to open the door to discuss a little bit more, a little bit push, a little bit harder on at least a filibuster carve out for voting rights. And I will just let everybody know, 51 to 49, Schumer switched his vote to no at the last minute because a 50-50 tie in the Senate, there's a weird rule that says if you have a tie vote, you can't bring it up again for a vote. Ah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the little intricacies of the Senate are always mind boggling. And, um, you know, last night my wife was like, why do we have a Senate and a, a house? Like, what is how is that? And I I started to try to explain, but honestly, I don't really understand it either. I don't think anybody really does. I suppose there's really good reasons. 
So once it gets into the weeds with that kind of stuff, I'm like, I don't even know. And the important thing here is that these senators, some of them are just, they're so owned and they're so anti-democracy that that's really the takeaway. Like it's, it's Democrats bend over backwards trying to abide by the letter of the law and do all this stuff. And we can't because they just, nobody in their party wants to have a democracy that functions. It's really that simple. And, and we only talk about the two Democrats that that are more inclined to vote with the Republicans, who are the guy that lives on the on the houseboat and has parties there and who is owned, literally owned by the coal industry from West Virginia and the EpiPen company, right, from his daughter. Like this guy is so transparently corrupt that it's it's funny. It would be funny if this was a if this was a an episode of like um, scandal or something. It, we almost wouldn't believe this guy. Certainly we wouldn't believe the casting because I don't know that I, any more airtime of that guy's ugly face on a TV screen is going to cause my retina to explode because I really don't <laughs> like looking at him. You know, yeah, that guy's corrupt. Duh. Yeah. There's, there's there's 50 other other people that are just as bad. Every, every once in a while, Mitt Romney does something nice. And we're all like, oh, Mitt Romney. No, Mitt Romney's bad. Yeah. Mitt Romney, Bain Capital is bad. The way that Mitt <laughs> Romney made his money is just, it, it's it's evil. It's predatory. It's it's scummy. It just is. Yeah. And, you know, what's up with what's up with Susan Collins? Is she concerned? Is she disturbed? What, what about Markowski in Alaska? I mean, are, do any of these people care? I guess not. The answer is they don't. Yeah, no, I think it boils down to Republicans are still Republicans. And, and anytime somebody says, oh, my God, I can't believe this person in the Lincoln Project did this or I can't believe. So and so did this or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, did you Kinzinger voted against the John Lewis? Like, like uh, did you forget that they are Republicans? I mean, they are still Republicans. It's just I don't think we've ever been in a position where any Republicans been on our side for anything. So when Trump came along and gave them reason to do so, a handful, everyone's like confused about how to, <laughs> how to act about it and then has to be reminded that they are indeed Republicans and they, they've blocked voting rights. So we'll, we'll see what happens, what comes of this. And, you know, I mean, he's there was also some uh, rumor out that he said he was going to switch parties. And uh, I think it was David Korn who wrote that for Mother Jones. Then uh, apparently Manchin told Politico that it's bullshit and it was a rumor and he's not going to leave the party. He'd be giving up a leadership position, be giving up the majority in the Senate. So, and I kind of frankly don't know who to believe on this. Does it matter? I mean, does it really make any difference? Like he's effectively a Republican anyway. It's not like he's doing much. I mean, he, uh, I, 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 I don't understand what's the point of being a Democrat if you can't be with the Democrats on some of this really basic stuff. Like at this point, my voice just cracked. That's okay. You can <laughs> leave it in. You don't have to edit that out. That's how upset I am. My voice cracked. It's like I'm in, I'm in high school again. Actually, I don't even think my voice cracked then. Maybe I'm aging. I'm like Benjamin Buttoning over here. <laughs> you know, this, this is fundamental stuff about our democracy. Uh, that's what's at stake here. And if we don't have the filibuster for this voting rights stuff and for some of these other changes that we want to make just to secure democracy, I'm not talking even about like, you know, helping people and stuff. I'm talking about pre preserving the framework of our republic. If we can't, get our shit together to agree on that. Why are we even, what's the point? It's, it's almost like a joke. How are you a Democrat then? You're not, you're literally not, you're a fascist. So mm -hmm. I, I think this is really, I, 
a Manichaean struggle. It's all, it's black and white. It's all or nothing. You're either with us or you're not on this particular issue. And they're not with us. And, you know, we were joking about Republicans, but time was that Republicans did have ideas. We might not have agreed with them, but they proposed things that they liked that were, you know, supposed to help people and stuff like that. And they have not done that for a long time. It is a party of obstruction. It's a party of, they don't want to say it's a party of white supremacy, but everything they do indicates that because voter suppression on this level, that's, that's you know, de facto what you're doing is per, it, all of their, the laws that they're trying to do about gerrymandering and whatever shenanigans they're up to in places like Texas, it's designed to, pre- to prevent minorities from voting easily. That's what they're trying to do. So they're effectively a white supremacist party that is beholden to a, a mountebank, this mobbed up money laundering Russian puppet. And he's not even president anymore. And they still kowtow to him like he's the fucking golden calf or something, while at the same time saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It, none of it makes any sense. It really it's, it just breaks your brain. And I wonder how these people can do the, the mental gymnastics themselves. I mean, you know, how can someone like Romney go to work every day with a straight face and be like, oh, yeah, this is uh, I, I don't understand that. I really don't. No, me neither. Uh, you know, I guess part of the point, at least of having 50 Democrats, is that we get the gavels. We can appoint judges, which is important. And of course, we can pass budget reconciliation bills. But beyond that, yeah, <laughs> it's like, and, you know, when we do pass this budget reconciliation bill, it'll be considerably less and have a lot fewer things in it because of Manchin, who has, I think, already gutted community college, is looking to slash up climate change, Yeah, wants to keep his coal plants. I mean, his family gets $1.1 million a month from coal. So, you know, it's... I think it's a month. It might be a year. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. He lives in West Virginia. It's disgusting and it's disgraceful. And I mean, after a while, like how much money do you need? How much power do you need? It's 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 just gross. Like they're they're doing things to the the whole philosophy here is the Republican philosophy is let's, you know, let's ha- let's hamper this bill. Let's let's castrate the bill to make it less good. Because they know that it's good and that it's something people want. In West Virginia, the, the, the poll numbers for the infrastructure bill are like 80% or some shit. Everybody wants this. Mm-hmm. They know it. And they know if they pass it, it's going to make Biden look good. So what they're trying to do now is not pass it to fuck Biden, which is disgusting. It's a goddamn disgrace. And everybody's on Fox News talking about, oh, no, wait, they're not. They're watching Fox News. Mm-hmm. And all they're talking about on that bullshit channel is the war on Christmas. <laughs> which is so important. You know, did you know that Biden is a Scrooge and there's going to be empty shelves in the toy stores? Did you know that? Yeah. Well, I mean, we had our Soros meeting uh, in the basement uh, Tuesday and, um, you know, last oh, Tuesday. Ours was, on, ours, was, ours was on Monday. Yeah, I, I, I was still waiting for my check, but uh, we, we, just, we at least decided we weren't going to start the war on Christmas until after Halloween, you know, give everybody a chance to take their decorations down. But uh, speaking of mobbed up, We had some good news this past week, or at least a a kind of a bright spot. And I want to talk to you about that, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? I will. Thank you. Everybody, we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's show is brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition 
Very, very simple and extremely convenient. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product, and it has comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition, and it brings it to everyone. And again, the convenience is incredible because, you know, I work so much, I travel, I go to the gym all the time, and I, and I only eat once a day, so I have huge gaps in my nutrition, and this has just been so awesome for me. It, it, it combines everything in one, right? A multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, a green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. The special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill those gaps in your diet, supporting energy and focus, and it aids with gut health because it's got that probiotic in there and helps with digestion. It supports a healthy immune system. It effectively replaces multiple products and pills with one healthy, delicious drink. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. You know I'm paleo, so this works for me. And it contains less than one gram of sugar. It's got no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, and no artificial anything. And it keeps it tasting fantastic. The coolest thing about it is that as the research changes, so does AG1. While most nutritional products that come to market never evolve, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve AG1 based on the latest research. They've produced 53, 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. I highly recommend you give it a try. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply. Free one-year supply of vitamin D. That's amazing. And you'll get five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. I love it. You will love it. And today's show is also brought to you by Glamnetic, solving all of your eyelash issues. No, no more glue, no more hassle, no more uncomfortable lashes. Uh, Glamnetic's six magnet lashes are one of a kind, made to stay on all day, and they apply in seconds. Lash glue does not stand a chance in comparison. I'm obsessed with these lashes, and you will be too. Glamnetic's magnetic eyelashes are amazing. They take under a minute to apply with no toxic glue and no struggle. Up to 60 uses per lash, so they're eco-friendly and wallet-friendly. With over 75 styles for your perfect fit, from natural to full glam, you get a different lash for every mood and every occasion. Take their lash quiz or use their lash guide. They have so much to help. And you can find the style that suits you best. And they have vegan and cruelty-free options available too. Over 500,000 happy customers cannot be wrong. Plus, they have this 100% money-back guarantee. So that's awesome. No risk. With expedited shipping and free shipping in the U.S. and Canada on orders over $30. Find out for yourself why Glamnetic Lashes on Instagram. It's their favorite beauty hack. Go to glamnetic.com slash beans, enter promo code beans for 30% off your order. This code is only available for you. That's glamnetic.com slash beans and enter promo code beans at checkout for 30% off. I promise you guys, these lashes literally apply themselves. They're so easy and they look great. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the host of the Prevail podcast, author of Dirty Rubles. Please thank you. Please and thank you, Greg Oliar, for being here. I almost said please welcome like you just got here. Before the break, you had mentioned, you know, these these guys are mobbed up and uh I wanted to talk about something pretty cool that happened in New York and D.C. this past week. The FBI swarmed the uh, residences of one Oleg Deripaska, which sort of unearthed a kind of a a reminiscent feeling in me, I will say, because we, you know, you and I reported heavily on Oleg Deripaska. Back in the day, it was almost it was kind of it felt like a little bit of a reunion. All of my uh, all of my Russia Trump probe friends sort of popped up out of the woodwork and were like, hey, Deripaska, interesting. And uh, it is a relief that that these investigations are going forward under the Department of Justice because we have some other issues that we're talking, you know, we're we're having problems with the Department of Justice in some arenas. 
Yeah. But this is a this is a good one. This is something good coming out of the department. I was wondering what you were thinking watching those raids, which took, by the way, um, all day. Well, it's not these are not small properties. I believe that that Deripaska's place in, in D.C. is the is the the most expensive residence in the district. I think I read that. I don't know if that's true. But yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I, I, you know, we've been on, we've been at this for for almost five years now. I know not to get my hopes up about anything. And Deripaska is tricky. I mean, he's an oligarch for sure. He has the connections with Manafort. You know, I think Manafort owed him like millions of dollars. And then, as soon as he got in some position of power, he was trying to be like, "Hey, I can uh, maybe I can get out of debt to you because I'm going to be, you know, in tight with the president now." I'm not sure how that fits in with the no collusion narrative when he's actively colluding. Is it because he's Ukrainian well, and not Russian? Is that is it like a loophole? I don't know. No. Well, Weissman said in his book, Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation, that they actually did have enough to prosecute him on, on conspiracy to uh, against the United States uh, with regards to handing the polling data over to to Oleg Deripaska via Konstantin Kalimnik, who was indicted. And who has since been outed as a Russian agent. Uh, I'm not sure why Mueller didn't know that unless Manafort was just being uncooperative. But, you know, that that's so that's sort of kind of where that question is answered and, and why they, they say Weissman said they didn't end up charging that because the tax stuff was just so much easier and they got a conviction. And he was sentenced to prison and didn't get to go because he was pardoned. So that's kind of what makes this very interesting to me is, first of all, Weissman's dropped off the face of the yeah, earth you keep saying since that. two weeks yeah. before. That's not something I would <laughs> since have two noticed, weeks. honestly. I'm not, I, I, I'm not fanboying outside of Weissman's house. So it's, it's, I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. And, and it, I was like, ooh, look at how right Allison was about this. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe he's just teaching or, uh, you know, I, I hope he's okay. I've reached out to him for comment. He hasn't gotten back. And I haven't, you know, most of the people that I know that are friends with him haven't, haven't heard from him on this either. But he was in charge of Team Manafort. And so the Tom Barrick indictment came out of the Eastern District where he used to work. And Barrick, 10 days after um, Weissman went radio silence, Barrick was indicted. And now I've heard rumors, again, none of this is confirmed, that Barrick is, is singing. And, you know, that would be very interesting because he's got a lot of ties to Deripaska in some roundabout ways, particularly through Kushner. And so... You know, who who knows what's what's going on? And of course, you know, we did hear that the Deripaska raids are coming out of New York. They didn't say Southern District or Eastern District. My beans are on Eastern District okay. because I think these are tied together. But who knows? Uh, it could also just be sanctions violations. Then they're seizing property that is somehow owed to the government. Money is owed to the government for sanctions violations. We We really don't know. But I think we will find out. I think we will find out because as Peter Strzok pointed out, on Mueller, she wrote this week, there was an urgency to get into this residence because he hasn't been here. He hasn't had a visa. He can't even be right. here. So it wasn't like raiding Rudy or raiding Cohen where they had to do it or the you know, evidence could be destroyed. It's just sitting there. And so they they would have everything wrapped up and pretty much almost done before they go overt with something like a, a public raid. So we will see. And I think we'll see sooner than we will in, in other cases such as Rudy or, you know, Cohen took what uh april may june july august four months to plead guilty we'll see what happens yeah i don't know I, you know deripaska first of all i think you know it's not like i think deripaska can afford to find a house sitter 
you know, if, if he wants somebody to, to go in there and move stuff around physically, I'm sure he could do it. So uh, even though he's not there, I'm sure that, that there, there probably was some urgency when, when they busted him, but. Well, no, well, because people who were in the neighborhoods have said there hasn't been any activity in those. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, houses for. I mean, you know, months, who knows? since so, I think like February yeah, yeah. or something, but yeah, again, we don't know. It's interesting know. that know. it's tied to Barrick because in my mind, Deripaska is, is sort of similar to Barrick. These are guys that, that don't really, I mean, they're, they're nominally members of a, a citizens of a certain country, but they kind of flow between countries and, you know, you know, Barrick is, he's American, but he has all these ties to various Middle East uh, regimes, especially obviously UAE. But, you know, he's friends with Kushner. He's Kushner with the Israel, like he goes everywhere and he can sort of come and go as he pleases. And I feel like Deripaska is similar. I mean, he's, he's Ukrainian, but he's also Russian. He's been, you know, he's in the United States. He's got ties to high up U.S. politicians. I've heard tell that maybe he's one of these informant type people and something like that. But who the hell knows? You know, and I feel like there's not that many guys like that, that 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 are that high level, that rich, that move, it, you know, between these worlds as efficiently as these guys do. So when you go knocking on a door like that, it definitely means something. And I don't think they're knocking for no reason. And it is of note that while they did take cars and possibly art and and things that could be, a, you know, an asset seizure or asset forfeiture, it still could also be things purchased with illegally gotten gains. It could be money laundering. Uh, you know, remember how DiCaprio had to give paintings back <laughs> that were purchased with stolen laundered one MDB funds from Cholo, who produced Wolf of Wall Street. Weird story. But, well, uh, Wolf, so it could Wolf be that of Wall Street is itself a, 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 a like <laughs> it's like the guy that Wolf of Wall Street was about got them to make this movie about him. And that's the movie. I don't like the movie Wolf of Wall Street. I think I think Wolf of Wall Street needs another meta layer where the guy who it's really about is fooling these guys into making this movie and making him look cool. That's my that's my meta thing. But aside from all those very expensive things that were taken from from the homes, there were boxes of what appeared to be documents. And so, you know, it's either a very broad as Peter Strzok said, just a very broad search warrant. But there has to be evidence of a, of a potential crime in order to get those search warrants served. And um, it would have to be a relatively fresh crime unless nobody's been there in months and months and months and they, there wasn't any jeopardy of, of destroying that evidence. And also, just because it's a fresh crime doesn't preclude it from being connected to a long, ongoing scheme, as we saw with Manafort. So, But I think the cool thing is, is we'll find out sooner rather than later. Do you think it's some, this is something that Barr had stopped and now is revived because he's gone? Mm. Could be. Uh, we saw that, I mean, the floodgates sort of opened after Garland got there with these raids and investigations and indictments for you know funneling money in or illegal campaign contributions, Barrick, Rudy all this stuff and now near Deripaska. But the inspector general is investigating whether or not those things were withheld or quashed or, or sometimes even, you know, some former U.S. attorneys and assistant U.S. attorneys have told me, you know, sometimes if, if you don't have a favorable AG, you just kind of sit on stuff for a minute and mm. then revive it, you know, pour, pour a little fuel on the fire once they're gone you know, with the anticipation that that Barr was going to be out of office or that Trump, the Trump administration was going right, to be ousted. Right. So that's what the IG is looking into. And again, we wouldn't hear that IG report if it could jeopardize ongoing investigations. They're going to hold that secret until more things are out. And and that's also true 
with the January 6th insurrection, right? Where they started, Inspector General started looking at not just the insurrection and everything surrounding January 6th on January 15th. But on January 25th, the Inspector General started an investigation on the leadership and their plot to overthrow the government. So, and to me, it's comforting that we haven't seen those reports because that means that the Department of Justice might still be working or working toward uh, an investigation into the leadership and the important interviews that would be tied into that. Rosen, for example, on the January 6th committee behind closed doors so it couldn't jeopardize a potential or pending investigation. And those are the things that are keeping hope alive a little bit for me, where the Department of Justice is concerned with the investigation into the insurrection. I mean, if you can't, if you're the attorney general of the United States and there was a besieging of the Capitol involving thousands of people that was clearly premeditated, clearly planned, and the actors are known to anybody that was remotely paying attention. If you, if you can't be moved to investigate that all the way to the top, then I don't even know why you're in that job. You know, I, I get there, there's other things. I, I, I don't agree with it, but I, if he is thinking, well, I don't want to indict from the Mueller stuff now because whatever dumbass reason he gives, I get that. But this is not that. This is this is the scene of a crime. There was a crime committed at the Capitol, a an, an attempt to overthrow the government and probably kill members of Congress and the vice president of the United States. That's not some little thing. That isn't jaywalking. That isn't, you know, it's not even like some weird financial crime. That's it doesn't get more serious than that in the country. So if your job is to lead the department that has the word justice in it, that should be your number one priority ahead of everything <laughs> else. And I don't know, you know, I hope this guy has it in him. I, he doesn't really look like it. I think he's just, and he said so himself. I had been saying this for a while that he's just been in his ivory tower for so long that he's come down and he doesn't understand how people think or operate. Like when George H.W. Bush went to the uh, supermarket and didn't know how the scanner worked and looked confused, remember? <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. And he said it himself. Garland said, I've been insulated in the monastery of the judiciary. And that made me want to vomit in my fucking mouth, just that expression. But that's that's what's happened. I think LB made this point on, on one of the interviews she did. I can't remember whose, whose show it was, that He's not a prosecutor. He's a judge. He's been a judge for a long time. He's not. It's a different mindset to be a judge than to be a prosecutor. So it's going to take him time to adjust. Does he have it in him? I hope so. But I don't know. You know, I don't know if he's he just so far. I, I don't think he's a bad man. I don't think he's corrupt or anything like that. I just don't think he's the right person for the job. I, I, I don't I don't detect the urgency. And I think that's what we want. We want to feel urgency. We want urgency to be communicated like during the pandemic, during the early stages of the pandemic here in New York. My governor Cuomo, the now ex-governor Cuomo, went on TV every day at 11 o'clock and talked to everybody for an hour about what was happening that day and about the pandemic, because nothing was more important than that. And even if he didn't have anything, all that earth shattering to say, he still did that every day. And yes, part of that is because he has a big ego and he likes people to watch him. But. The idea is that it communicates this sense of urgency. He makes it important. And that's when, when I and, and uh, LB and other people like yell and scream, we need you to talk to us. We need to know what's happening. It's not that we need him to come down from his monastery and give us like talk about sources and methods and fuck up investigations. We just need to be assured that he actually gives a shit about this. 
And he said it a couple of times. He's made statements here and there. If you read through the tea leaves, yeah, but they're few and far between. And we haven't heard boo from the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, who's the guy that was put there, okay, because the, the criminal president fired the guy that he thought was going to investigate him and replaced him with this guy, okay? Hmm. That's who the director of the FBI is now. It's a guy that the crook thought wouldn't prosecute him. Apart from anything else, that's who he is. And Ray went in there and took the job under those horrible auspices and has not done much, honestly, to make me think that he's like some white hat or whatever. I mean, the guy worked for gas, his law firm worked for Gazprom. Why? Why can't we have, can't we have somebody in charge of the FBI who isn't connected to the Russian mob? Can we please? Is it too much to ask? It might be. It might be. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to find out. And uh, I want to talk about some more of these points with the Department of Justice, but I have to take another break. Will you stay with me? I will. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for supporting the Daily Beans. And thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this particular segment of the program. With a credit balance hanging over your head month after month with high interest rates, you never make a dent. You're in a never-ending cycle of debt. And it doesn't seem like there's any relief in sight. But you can make that final payment with Upstart and take control of your debt. It's easy to pay off your debt with an online personal loan with Upstart. Over a million people have used it to consolidate high-interest debt or pay off their credit cards or even fund personal expenses because you get one fixed monthly payment. So Upstart looks beyond your credit score. You're more than just a number to them. And they can find you a better loan rate with their trusted partners by considering other factors like your income and current employment and your credit history. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score. It's a soft pull. So you can just check it to see. And you can do that for loans between one dollars to $50,000. And you even receive funds as fast as one business day after the acceptance of your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. And your loan amount will be determined based on your credit, income, and other certain information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. All right, welcome back. Discussion with Greg Oliar. Greg, I want to just give a little bit of pushback, but then also some agreement with what's going on with the Department of Justice. Because first of all, I can't believe that Biden and Garland didn't have a discussion about how to proceed on January 6th before he was nominated. And Biden, either out of his own mouth or via Jen Psaki uh, in the White House press conference room, has said over and over again, Trump incited this riot. There was an insurrection. This is illegal. These people need to be prosecuted. I would I would hold Steve Bannon in, in criminal contempt. Yes, I would if I were the Department of Justice. And of course, Department of Justice had to come back and say, shut up, bro. You're not supposed to talk about what we are doing, uh, which I agree with. He is not. But he put it out there and it's out there. And I have a hard time believing that Biden wouldn't have asked how he's going to handle January 6th. And had he said, I'm not going to do that, I can't believe Biden would have appointed him with the way that Biden is very adamant about this. On the other hand, there are several criminal investigations into Donald Trump. We've got Fonnie Willis, Fulton County District Attorney in Georgia, who is working on a racketeering case uh, with regards to Trump's interference in trying to overthrow the 2020 election. Now, she is very in the early stages. We haven't seen anything to indicate, you know, that she's working on this because she hasn't yet subpoenaed Raffensperger. She has she's very early stages of this investigation. But we know she's investigating it. We know she's investigating it. Same thing with the Cy Vance, Manhattan District Attorney. 
Uh, now we found out today, Mimi Roca, our mm-hmm. friend Mimi Roca in Westchester, is also criminally investigating the Trump organization. And they've been very, you know, peep, you know, hush hush about it. But we know that there's a grand jury impaneled and they're investigating and they're interviewing people. So my hope is given what Garland has said, we're going to go where the facts take us and we're not going to fucking talk to you. So quit asking. And given Biden's position on this clear position on this, especially with his waiving of executive privilege for like NARA, for example, the National Archives Records Administration. After after careful consideration, we aren't going to allow you to claim executive privilege. I like the careful consideration part. With all of that and the fact that we didn't hear a peep until Tom Barrack was indicted, we didn't hear a peep until Giuliani was raided, we didn't hear a peep until Deripaska was raided, they might just be keeping it all very close to their vest. And potentially, we're at, what, Defendant 638 or something like that in the boots on the ground investigation. We're getting toward hearing about seditious conspiracy charges and members of Congress possibly being investigated. We knew in February that Stone and Alex Jones were being investigated by the Department of Justice and for their roles in the insurrection. I think hopefully he might just not be at the point in the investigation where he needs to subpoena folks like Clark and Rosen and Donahue and Trump and Bannon and because, you know, if he'd already subpoenaed Bannon, Bannon would be everybody. I got a right. subpoena. I'm not going. So we know they haven't been subpoenaed. And that's my hope upon hope. And we're getting to a point right in the timeline where we should soon know if there is or isn't going to be an investigation into the leadership or the coup attempt of the insurrection. We should we should be getting close. And so I'm holding out until that day kind of arrives to see sort of where we're at. And I think another big indication, I think the Mo Brooks decision was a huge indicator for me. I think that whether or not Garland uses prosecutorial discretion to take the ban and criminal referral to a grand jury will be an indication, but we'll see, you know, and, and I, but you're right. It's just taking so long. Yeah. That's the thing. And I, I, I do think that the way that they're, you know, that the FBI did its thing with with the the insurrection and this. And that. It does have the look of one of those big, complicated cases. And I think this is the most complicated case in the history of the FBI, by the way. This is I get that. It's not easy. And it does have the look of that. So I've not given up hope on it. I'm just saying if they can't if they fuck this up and they just stop. because like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what. Look, we, uh, we their video is there on my podcast on Friday. I had Sandy Bacon on. She's a video journalist. She was there that day. Love her. Love and her. it's a long podcast. And she tells the whole story about what she saw that day. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that, that this wasn't just some random occurrence. This was a thing that was planned by people that were not the sheep at, on that mall. Most of the people there. Oh, we yeah. all know. I, we and, all know that. You know, yeah. so if we know it, I like to think the FBI and the DOJ also know it and that they're coming for it. The question is, how far up are they going to go before they, they lose their nerve? Because it's going to be the higher you go, the more there's plausible deniability. I wrote a piece this week about Prigozhin, the Putin's chef guy, and the way that Putin uses him and the way that Internet Research Agency was used as a remove from the Russian government so that when it got busted, Putin could just say, this is this is Russian government. This is not this is independent company, not the Russian government. I do not control all company in Russia. We are freedom here. You know, that kind of bullshit. <laughs> we but, are freedom. You know, they have that level of and Trump is going to 
That's how Trump communicates. Michael Cohen testified to the same. He doesn't give orders. He speaks in code, Michael Cohen said. And I know the code because I've been around him. Roger Stone knows the code. Steve Bannon knows the code. Mike Flynn, who worked at the NFA, he knows the code. Isn't that his job, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's... It's going to be more complicated as we move up. But I- yeah, but I mean, Greg, if, if he if he takes up the investigation and finds that he doesn't have enough evidence to to prosecute individuals because of such and such, I would expect and I would hope we would hear yeah. about that. And then we could we could say, ah, fuck. But at least he tr- at least he investigated. And we still don't even have any evidence of that, though. We might not see. I, I don't I, I, <laughs> I don't want that. I don't mind if they indict them and they get off because because they don't have enough. I want them indicted if they get off, you know, because there's not enough. Let the fucking jury figure that out. Let these guys. I don't know, man. I don't know. Let them worry about it. Let them worry about it so that they're not out there fomenting more uh, insurrection attempts. These guys have not a care in the world. Let them feel that they might actually be put in jail for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I don't I. I have to say, I don't know if bringing a a weak case. Well, first of all, they can't. They aren't allowed to by federal criminal rules. You can't bring a case that you can't sustain on appeal and, and get a conviction on. But losing could be worse than not indicting if you think about how that could be perceived, at least politically, and for the next coup attempt. But by the Ugh. time this happens, it's going to be 2075 and we'll all be dead. So, you know. There's that. There's that aspect. Too. Well, yeah, I when I started a whole Mueller podcast, I sort of conceded the fact that I wouldn't be alive long enough to find out what really happened. <laughs> <laughs> Considering we just got that Jaworski roadmap in 2016 or something. like yeah. that. So um, 2017, something like that. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know where we stand. And I'm still OK with it, but we're but I'm, I'm running out. I'm I've, I've, like my mom said, I've had it up to here. But, you know, I'm giving you a little notice. (laughs) You have this much to go. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about Prevail and and Sandy and and some of the guests that you have on. I just take one last break, if that's okay with you. I will allow it. Thank you. Thank you very magnanimous. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beanbox, my new favorite holiday gift for everyone. I'm a huge coffee person in the morning. I personally I like to I like to make it at home. The smell fills the house. It's amazing. It's got that, especially in the autumn, you know, that coffee. Oh, it's so good. That first aroma of ground beans, the very last sip, the whole ritual helps me start the day more grounded and more centered. And Beanbox elevates your coffee ritual further with curated selections of world-class coffees delivered right to your door. Beanbox has my morning routine down, pat, I love the huge variety of their flavors and the consistently high quality. And it's fun opening the box to find a flight of incredible coffees that I'd probably never get to taste otherwise. You can enjoy an endless variety of exclusive specialty coffees from award-winning roasters, curated by Beanbox's own world-class coffee expert. Their tasting box offers a rotating flight of whole bean or freshly ground artisan coffees roasted to order and shipped straight to your door. You can order monthly with no long-term commitments, and you can pause, skip, or cancel anytime. Super simple, excellent customer service, and delicious coffee. So take a guided tour through some of the best coffees in the world with Beanbox. Order today at beanbox.com slash dailybeans and get your first tasting box for just five bucks with promo code dailybeans, all one word. That's your first monthly tasting box for just $5 when you use promo code dailybeans at checkout at beanbox.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by Monk Pack because healthy snacks have a bad reputation. So Monk Pack has changed that all. 
most healthy snacks don't taste good. They don't fill you up. They don't have that crunch and that savory and sweetness that you crave. But Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, and non-GMO. They have no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, no high-intensity sweeteners. I've been trying to eat healthy, and Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped immensely because they're so filling and satisfying and delicious. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have a soft, chewy texture and come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now, I mean, it switches, but today it's peanut butter. It reminds me of granola bars I had from, you know, from my childhood. They taste incredible. You can't beat the low sugar nutrition they provide. And by shopping online, you can avoid going to the grocery store. You can just have snacks always at your fingertips in your house. And you can get, because you can get Monk Pack delivered right to your door. Try it for free and you'll see. We have a special deal for you. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money. So there's no risk here. Snacks at your fingertips. No risk. That's amazing. To get started, just go to monkpack.com, select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Again, monkpack.com. Select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS at checkout and save 20% off. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. We're in the fourth quarter. Greg Oliar is up 7 nothing, And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Prevail, about your podcast, because you just said, you just blew me away. You had Sandy on as a guest. And she's just, I've been following her since the beginning. You know, I know that I, I put this Twitter thread together on January 8th where I was like, look at this military stack, arms on the shoulders. This is planned. Look at, they've got, you know, zip ties. And then I was thinking about the Venezuela coup attempt that failed and p- predicting that that Eric Prince, that some of these guys had to be oath keepers, that Nunes and Patel were involved. And I said, you know, they, there was no National Guard. Why is that? And she has been putting out all this incredible video and photojournalism you know, we know all this. And then and meanwhile, we watch much like Mueller. We watch over the last six months or so the story unfold. And it the story comes out to be exactly what people who were there that day have been telling us since the beginning, which just kind of shows how long these things take when you, you know, you have to run them through the filter of the justice system. Yeah, no, it it takes time, but it's, you know, these things are obvious and they're they're there. Sandy has been shouting from the rooftops about this since since the day it happened. And it's hard because it's hard to get traction, I think. And the way it's a complicated story, you know, you keep going back to the timeline of it, but it's basically, you know, November, November 7th, I believe is a Saturday. That's when we found out that's when the election was called on the networks. I and my wife danced to um, Head Over Heels by the Go-Go's on Twitter. It was great. I, I saw that. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. That that Monday, Trump fires Esper, the the um, Secretary of Defense, and replaces him with this Christopher Miller guy who nobody really knew who he was, leapfrogging another the number two. I forget the guy's name who was number two at, at DOD, and everybody sort of was like, "This is weird. This is not the usual thing that happens. What is he up to?" Well, it kind of seems like we know what he's up to now because then you have the fourteenth. November 14th, there's a rally in D.C. with all these MAGA people and the, the Groypers and these other groups. 12-12, another Saturday, there's another rally. That's the one where the Proud Boys are there, where there's people get stabbed. 
And in fact, some of the footage Sandy shot, see the stabbings. People went to jail because of the footage that she shot. Then, you know, we coast right along to January 6th, the night before. You have all these fiery speeches. You have Brooks and you have Flynn and you have Alex Jones. We're going to go to the Capitol. Jesus is going to come and <laughs> We have to, you know, that bullshit. Everybody's getting riled up, riled up, riled up. And Rico Torrio, by the way, the leader of the Proud Boys, is arrested, I think, the day before and banned from entering mm-hmm. D.C. Hmm, why would that be? Convenient that he's not allowed to be in D.C. the day of the, of the thing. Who's he who's he ratting mm. out? OK, lots, lots and lots of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you're right. We see it the just and then we have the, the meeting at the Willard Hotel, yeah. which now, you know, was a fringe theory when it was first put out by Seth Abramson. We picked it up. We started talking about the, the meeting at the Willard. Everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. That's stupid. Now, the January 6th committee is asking. One of the reasons that they put in their resolution for holding Bannon in criminal contempt is they have to find out what happened at the Willard Hotel that night. What happened, Bannon, you ugly motherfucker? So then the insurrection happens, you know, and there's all this weird stuff. Trump is talking. He says something in his speech like, I'm going to be with you as we march to the cap. You know, he basically directs all these all these sheeple to, to bumble down to the to the Capitol where the where the the trained tactical people already are with their bullhorns telling them what to do and going, going right for the windows that were right, vulnerable. Which they knew about it. That hadn't been you know, retrofitted. Mm-hmm. It takes them not a lot of time. It takes, I think, 13 minutes for them to get into all four, all four sides of the Capitol. And Sandy was there during the Kavanaugh hearings. You couldn't get near that building during the Kavanaugh hearings. No. Right. So somebody was like, it was like in the Godfather where, where he's at the hospital and the, the guards just leave. You know, he gets there and he's like, where's all the guards? It's like, that's what's happened. And now he's stuck there with the baker who has to pretend he has a gun in his pocket on the, you know, there's no one there. There's no one guarding the fucking building. They called for the National Guard to come over a dozen times and it, it they did not come. Now, who's in charge of sending the National Guard to D.C., the president of the United States? And it flows from the president to the secretary of defense, to the secretary of army. It It did not happen. It did not happen. So. Meanwhile, and I make this point on the uh, people on Twitter have made this point, I think, in meme form on 9-11. Right. George Bush is in the air and Air Force One all afternoon. Why? Because the Secret Service were like, we can't have you land anywhere. It's too dangerous. We have to keep you safe. We have to protect you, blah, blah, blah. This is in response to a terrorist attack led by a guy in a cave halfway around the world in which the only weapon that they used was a box cutter. Something I have on my desk right now. Okay. That's how afraid the Secret Service was that day. Okay. For George W. Bush. Now, we have tens of thousands of people besieging the fucking capital of the United States, calling for the death of Mike Pence. Trump is a few blocks away. Secret Service is like, yeah, we're good. Why would they do that? I mean, why would they not? No, he he went into the bunker for the Black Lives Matter po- yes, protests. But not for this. So. so- why like, not and this? again, this isn't a knock on the Secret Service. They knew he wasn't in any trouble because he was in fucking. Tr- it, it's it's pretty obvious what what happened here. They tried to call the National Guard in D.C. and it was shut down. Not only that, the police weren't allowed to have like certain weapons. They were only allowed to carry this, that and the other. There were all these restrictions placed on them. It's very obvious if you look at it in retrospect, they didn't want guards there. They didn't want the building protected. And who's in, ultimately the person responsible for that is Donald J. Trump, then president of the United States, and his secretary of defense, 
acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. So those are the guys. Why? Why? And how any how any of the Republicans in the Senate and in in Congress whose lives were put in danger for going along with this plot are cool with it is beyond me. And and Pence especially. Pence, Pence has no free will. Pence is not allowed to do right. anything. He he cannot. Uh, that guy can't wipe his ass without the permission of his owners. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of them are like that. I don't know if it's a fear of Trump or fear of reprisal or because they're in on it. I don't know. This Tommy Tuberville guy, you know, they were calling him. What's going on? You know, uh, uh, are you going to do the votes or not? And, and how's the delay yeah, going? You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. It, it's, just, it's so preposterous because it's so fucking obvious. I don't there isn't any counter, you know, narrative here. That would explain why all these things happened. No. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This is what actually happened that day. And we we can watch it on TV because we have the footage because of people like Sandy. And again, if the Department of Justice can't figure this out, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's they can they can figure it out. It's whether they deliberately choose to not investigate it or not. That That, that is going to be the difference between how I react to it or not. And same with the obstruction of justice. I still don't understand why. I mean, I they have the prosecutorial discretion whether to pick that up and charge or So do not. it. And they have Just do it. I don't understand. Like to me, throw the fucking kitchen sink at them. Or or tell me why you're not doing it. Yeah. Maybe they have some really fucking good reason. Then you need to tell me why. And that's why I wanted a special yeah. counsel. Yeah. That's why I wanted a special counsel, because at least a special counsel like Mueller comes out and says, here's why I didn't do this shit. And then I can read it and you can go, that fucking sucks. But OK, at least here's an explanation, at least. I wish I could put a time frame on it, but I, I'm going to see what happens with the banned criminal contempt referral in the Department of Justice. The Mo Brooks, like I said, the Mo Brooks mm. decision kind of kept me going and now I'm almost at the end of that rope. And then if if they come in and 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 honestly, it's it's a pretty low bar to say that we're going to go after him for for criminal, you know, criminal contempt of Congress. But it's something. So it I think it would be indicative of how they might proceed. But again, we don't know. And we'll just have to find out. But I, I really encourage everybody to listen to Prevail. And. I'm 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 actually as soon as we get off of this uh, Zoom call, I'm going to go listen to the Sandy episode because that's incredible. She's amazing. And I'm glad that you had her on the show. Yeah, I've had I, I've had good people. And just for people listening who haven't listened to my show and only listened to your show. First, I commend you on your good taste and listening to Allison's show. My thing is like I'm a writer primarily. So when I'm you know, expressing myself, I usually express myself in print form. So for me, the podcast is all about like I get interesting people on and I just sort of ask them questions and let them talk and try to learn from, you know, what they're telling me rather than me going on there to pontificate or, you know, spout off my own stuff. I try to I try to give people lots of space to, to talk. And I've had I've had, you know, some really interesting people on, you know, during during the course of the show. I had Craig Unger on a couple of weeks ago, and that was really fascinating because we you know, he knows so much about all the Russia stuff going back. But. He, he, you know, I talked about his career. We were talking about Vietnam, all this like, st- like when he was in eighth grade, he lived in Dallas in eighth grade. Kennedy got assassinated and he was in Dallas and his father is a doctor at Parkland Hospital where Kennedy went that night. Right. So it's like this whole mm. you know thing, it's just cool connections. I had Kurt Anderson on, which was a huge thrill for me because I love that guy. He, he wrote Evil Geniuses and Fantasyland, which really, really, I think two books that go a long way in explaining 
why everything is as fucked up as it is in this country right now. <laughs> and he also is a founder of Spy Magazine, which I loved Spy Magazine. I don't know. Did you read Spy Magazine back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't yeah. understand it, really. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know who these people are that they're making fun of, but I know this is good, good stuff here. So, so that was yeah. good. And, uh, you know, another cool episode to go back and listen to in light of the Christopher Steele's name coming back into, into, the, uh, into the news this past week. I do an interview with Arthur Snell, who's a British, former British diplomat who's been all over the place, really interesting places, but he's also one of the managing partners at Orbis. So at the end of that, we talk a little bit about the Steele dossier and he makes some of the same points that uh, Chris Steele made last week, which is, hey, you know, the stuff I was saying, the four pillars are all, you know, they're all true. So, yeah, there it is. And maybe you should ask, why is it that we, I was running around crazily trying to get this in the hands of anyone that could do anything about it? Rather than, well, uh, did the PP tape really happen? Uh, I don't. I'm trying to visualize. Yeah. Were, were they standing on the bed when they were peeing? Were they doing it off to the side? Uh, was Trump underneath them? Was it? Was he filming it? It doesn't make any difference. Hmm. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, I, I I I saw that interview. I thought it was good. And you've got some really interesting guests coming up on the show too. And I'm not going to say yeah, anything. Don't say anything. We don't want to jinx but it. I, we don't want to jinx it. But I know what you've told me, and holy majoli, yeah. uh, you're going to want to tune in to Prevail. Um, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And I appreciate your time today. And I, I also recommend everybody pick up Dirty Rubles. Very good book. And and follow you on Twitter. You're a great follow. Thank you so much for, for spending time with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And that concludes the coolest conversation ever with Greg Oliar, host of the Prevail podcast. Please check out his podcast. He's truly, truly an amazing human person. He was at our live show in Boston when we did Muller She Wrote, when we did the tour in 2019. And um, he, he was just such an incredible, incredible person, just amazing writer. He's got a sub stack. You have to follow him on Twitter. Super cool, dude. Thank you, Greg Oliar, for being here today. And thanks, everybody, for listening until tomorrow. And tomorrow we've got some cool stuff going on, too. But until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.